good to have you here this morning. I'd like you to take your Bible, if you would, and let's go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 12. It's good to be able to meet this uh, week. Again, we had some troubles with our furnace last week. And uh, long story short, all things work together for good in the case of a furnace breaking down, as we had some other issues uh, that were going on at that time. And maybe I'll talk to you about those sometime. Uh, And so good that the furnace broke down when it did. And good that someone was able to come and fix it. Maybe not so good you can't meet, but we did get to meet on Sunday night. And so, again, as we study here this morning, I'd like us to take and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48. Just want to mention again this message that I'm going to preach is the message I would have brought to you last Sunday morning. And uh, it is based on Christ and his leadership as we'll talk about the greatest leader of all time. And I want us to understand what makes a leader great, because honestly, today, I think people are confused on what maybe greatness involves. And again, I certainly can talk about all the things that Jesus is like, but again, I want to consider some major attributes that make him the greatest leader of all time. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48. Luke chapter 12, verse number 48. The Bible says, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. And he, sorry, let me read that again. Verse 48, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. But unto whosoever much is given of him shall much be required. And of whom men have committed much of him, they shall ask the more. I know this verse talks about accountability, but also talks about leadership. There's a great responsibility in leadership. And I want to talk about the greatest leader of all time. Let's go ahead and pray as we consider this thought this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word here today. Thank you again for this opportunity we have. To be in your house, I thank you for Jesus who has set a a standard, a a model for leadership that all of us should seek to follow after. As we look at Jesus here today, I pray, Lord, that you could see, help us to see him more as he is. And help us by grace again to seek to be like like after him and, and follow again the things that he'd have us to do as far as leadership and responsibility. We pray for your blessings upon the message here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to mention again here this morning, again, as we think of leaders, a lot of times we think of leaders in the military. And uh, certainly there have been great leaders in the past in the military. I don't know what this leader's name was or is, but there was a combat veteran during World War II, Korea and Vietnam, that had the responsibility of being a leader over many men throughout time. During especially a dangerous skirmish, he sent 13 Marines into enemy lines and all were killed. This lieutenant colonel told the officers, he was training them that there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't think of that. You know, it's a great responsibility of leadership. Think about this man who had the opportunity to serve in the armed forces and did so. And we would say he's, you know, someone to be honored. World War II, Korea, Vietnam, certainly served for a long time. And yet what he was trying to teach those under him that 
is that he thinks about those under him that died in combat, that he sent into combat, and he thinks about them every day. There's a serious side and responsibility to leadership. There's, again, a noble, if you would, side to leadership. But I want to begin here considering some of the serious side of leadership. To whom much is given, much shall be required. You know, if we're given much, we're given responsibility. I think of presidents, prime ministers, governors, all those kind of things, pastors, parents, whoever it might be, teachers. There's a great responsibility in, in leading people and influencing people. And sadly, there are a lot of people leading people astray today and leading people in the wrong way. There are certainly some that are leading people in the right way. And we should be seeking to lead people in the right way. There's a serious side to leadership. And again, even Jesus discusses this in several passages. But again, I just want to take note of a couple here. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17. Jesus spoke of the serious side of leadership. And again, if you're leading anyone, if you're leading someone, if it's but one that you're leading, I believe, again, it's a serious, serious responsibility to try in your best to lead them in the right way. We'll sometimes make mistakes, we'll err in responsibility and even in how we lead, but we need to lead in a right way. Luke 17, verse number one and verse number two says, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast in the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. What is this talking about? It's talking about someone causing someone to stumble. It's causing someone to be tripped up. It's a very serious thing for us if we are in a position where we are causing a little one to be offended. Someone says, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. What what does matter, it does matter what you do and what we do. You know, the kindergarten teacher has a great responsibility. The daycare worker, whether you like them or not, her or him or not, they have a great responsibility. The teacher, they have a great responsibility. The pastor, he has a great responsibility. The parent, you can go on and on. The mentor, the coach, they have a great responsibility. We need to be careful that we don't offend these little ones. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 9. And I do so having you turn to a passage again that reiterates this same thought. Jesus repeats this same general thought. And he does this before a little child and before his disciples. He did this after he had talked to his disciples about who is greatest in the kingdom of God. And then he goes into this situation here. And let's pick up there and in Mark chapter 9, verse number 36. Mark 9, verse number 36. He took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such a children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive him receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one cast out devils in thy name, and he followeth not after us, and we forbade him, because he followed not after us. And Jesus said, 
forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can be lightly uh, speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water or uh, to drink in my name, because he, belong, because he belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his, re his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged upon his neck and he were cast in the sea. It goes on and talks about some very serious matters. But I want you to notice this happened in the midst of a child. He took a little child, the Bible says there, and set him in the midst of them, and he began to talk to them. As he talked to them, he talked about some very serious things. He talked about not, again, being a position, again, here where you would forbid someone, again, who's doing something in the name of Jesus, and maybe not doing it quite as you'd like to see them do. And he says this in verse number 40, he's saying that these people are on our side. For he is not against us, but he's in our part. He goes on and says, For who shall give you a cup of water uh, to drink in my name, because he, you belong to Christ, for they say unto you, he shall not lose his war, reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him than a millstone were hanged upon his neck and you're cast in, a little, in the midst of a sea. You know, it certainly must be serious to God how we treat little ones. How we lead. Leadership is certainly at some time, is sometimes certainly a very serious and daunting responsibility. It's a serious act to lead. And many think, you know, leadership, I want it. I want to have it. I want to be ahead. I want to lead. I want others to follow me. I want to have all kinds of followers, so to speak. I want to be a great influencer or whatever it might be. And I get that. I mean, I think all of us crave that and want that to some degree, who desire to be leaders to some degree. But as you look at Jesus, he talks about the responsibility of leadership. But he also talked about the responsibility of fellowship. Let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Again, as we think about leadership and we think about fellowship, I think of Jesus as the greatest of all time. The greatest man of all time. Of course, he was God in the flesh, and so that easily makes him the greatest of all time. But again, as we think about uh, leadership and fellowship, they go hand in hand. And so John chapter 1, verse number 43 says this, The day following, Jesus would go into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. He tell, uh, tells his disciple to follow him. And he tells, again, Philip and Andrew in John chapter 12, verse number 26, to follow me. And he tells Peter in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 22, in two different places in that passage, follow me, follow thou me. And so, again, if we're going to be Christians, we should be following Jesus. We should be seeking to be like unto Jesus. And so as we consider here, Jesus is the greatest leader. I want us to know what made him that. What made Jesus great as a leader? Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. You know, 
We're living in an age when it's getting harder and harder to say what's right. It's getting harder and harder to do that which is right. I think it's harder. Maybe it's not. But again, you, you can say something that's right. You can do something that's right. And we live in what we call a cancel culture. And certainly maybe some of you never heard about, don't know anything about that. But again, you can say something and it can be truly right and you can be canceled. Someone says, what does it mean to be canceled? It means to basically, basically wiped out in some kind of way. Be hurt in some kind of way just because you say the truth. You know, there might be a day coming when they will cancel all the preachers in our country. They're doing it to some degree already, but they're going to cancel all the preachers in the country. Again, someone says, well, how could that happen? Well, it's already started to some degree. And again, I may not agree with the man, again, who was canceled on a particular platform just recently, but they canceled the preacher. You know, that's, that's the beginning of the loss of religious freedom in our country. Someone says, well, it doesn't really matter. That guy was kind of off, the whatever. But when you start canceling voices and you start doing this and that, it again makes a difference. But again, I just want to mention, I'm not here again to set people on fire about cancel culture. But again, it's sad when you see people canceled for saying that which is right. Let's cancel him because he said that which is right. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. As we look at Jesus, we see him, first of all, as a courageous leader. You know, it takes courage to be a leader because a leader needs to lead right rather than wrong. And again, in doing this, we see in Jesus, his witness before men was that of extreme courage. Look at verse number 16. Luke chapter 4, verse number 16. I want to read through part of this passage because we need to know what Jesus was like. Again, here it says in verse number 16, it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there he delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He hath sent me to heal the broken hearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So just want to stop there. Jesus did this before. The Bible says that. He opened the book and he, he stood up to read. So he read from the Bible before and read the people before. This was custom that they would do in synagogues, but he reads a particular passage and he reads it out loud, and it says, And he closed the book, verse number 20, and gave it to them to minister and sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your, year, in your ears. And all that bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they, say, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in that in the country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias 
when the heaven was shut up for three and six, three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but none of them was, uh, was Elias sent, saved to Seraphath, a city of Zidon, unto a widow, uh, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him onto a brow of the hill whereby their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. And he, passing through the midst of them, went on his way. I want to read on just two more verses. Verse 31. And came to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them in the, on the Sabbath day. And they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power. Someone says, what set Jesus apart? His courage. His power. His deliverance of truth. You know, you look at Luke chapter 4 and it doesn't seem like he said much. But he said a lot. And it set the people on fire against him. And they sought to destroy him. But yet you see Jesus, and the Bible simply says there, and he passing through the midst of them went on his way. How did he do that? I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he wasn't hurt at this time. I don't know why he wasn't destroyed at this time. I don't know why, in a sense, he was able to do all these things. But I do know this about Jesus' witness and his words. He was courageous and spoke with power. And he spoke the truth. And if we are to be like Jesus, we need to speak the truth in love, as Ephesians tells us to do. Jesus spoke out with courage in many passages here in the Gospels. And you'll notice this about Jesus. His words were courageous and ever and always true. Turn to John chapter 2. If you're going to lead someone, lead them in the truth. Lead them in that which is right. Lead them in the way they should go. I mean, if you offend one of these little ones, it's a very serious matter in the Word of God. John chapter 2, verse number 13 to verse number 16. I want us also to consider here his works were courageous. Not only his words were with courage, but his works were courageous. John chapter 2, verse number 13. It says, and many of the, and, and the Jews, sorry, John chapter 2, Verse number 12, it says, And after this he went to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found the temple, in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money city. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple, the sheep, the oxen, and poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables and said unto them, that sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Wow. I mean, he said it, but he also did it. You know, think about leaders. They must be courageous. You see, his worst courageous. He goes in the house, the temple, and cleans out the money changers there. Some people picture Jesus as this pansy, so to speak, this weakling, so to speak. He's powerful. 
They were going to throw him out, so to speak, after he was done preaching. And what did he do? He just walked through them. What do you see him do right here? You see him in a situation where, again, people were doing wrong in the house of God. He went in. Someone said he's meddling in someone's business. He was meddling in someone's matter. Someone might think it that way. But his zeal for the house of God, his love for the house of God, his love for the temple led him to this place. And he tossed out these people that were making the house of God a place of merchandise. Be quite an act for someone today to go into a place that's supposedly a house of worship and set them straight as far as what it should be like. I know none of us are Jesus, and maybe none of us have the responsibility to do something like that in a way, but shouldn't we not stand up against those things that people are doing to pervert the house of God? Shouldn't we teach against those things? Matthew chapter 21, he does it again. He did this early. He did this later in his ministry. And people would say, you know, Jesus, boy, he, he told them what to, what for. And someone says, well, that's the way we should be. We should just be uh, rough and tough. But he did this purposefully and for a, a, a reason that maybe you don't understand. But again, perverting the house of God and, and uh, again, causing people to stumble and do that which is right is not a a little thing to God. Matthew 21 here, verse number 12. You see him cleanse the temple again here. This is just after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It says in verse number 12, it says that Jesus went into the temple and cast all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money teachers and the seats of them that sold. And he said out to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And you made it a den of thieves. You know, people look at Jesus and he was this person who, in their mind, might be, was this person, you know, live and let live. No, he wasn't like that. He did everything perfectly. His works showed him to be courageous. His words showed him to be courageous. His love for us shows him to be courageous. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we think about Jesus, and again, we, we understand that he went to the cross, but imagine approaching the cross, what it would be like to approach a cross, a crucifixion, a death that you don't deserve, but a, a death that must be to save humanity from their sins. Mark chapter 10, verse number 32 through verse number 34, the Bible says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and, Jeru and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed as they followed. And they were afraid, and they took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered in the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Imagine learning all that and hearing all that in one short little time. The disciples heard this. <laughs> and, and, and they heard all these things. It says in verse number 23, I just want to mention, delivered, condemned, delivered the Gentiles, mocked, scourged, spit upon, killed, and rise again. 
And yet it says of Jesus, he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. His approach to death. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse number 41, he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. Knowing what? All these things that would come to him. He wasn't a leader that said, you know what, I'll just let some other guys just go ahead and they can take it, so to speak. I'll leave from behind. No, that wasn't Jesus. See, courage in a leader is seen with them sometimes overcoming their fears. Now, I know Jesus really didn't have fears. I don't really think he could fear. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know exactly. Maybe he could as a little kid. I don't have... It's hard to understand fear is a lack of faith, right? In general, I think. Again, we're, there's another uh, doctrinal thing being someone can look into sometimes. Did Jesus ever fear anything? But nonetheless, what I'm saying is he was courageous. But for us, we have fears. We have natural fears. We have natural worries. I mean, I think about Moses, and I think about he was called to lead God's people and that sort of thing. And, you know, he's called to lead God's people. And basically, if you look in Exodus, I think it's three or four, he makes excuse for him not leading. You say, why do you make excuses for not leading? He didn't feel like he was equipped to lead. He didn't feel he was, you know, the person to lead. He thought maybe somebody else should lead. He didn't want to lead. But yet you see the courage of Moses before Pharaoh. Over and over he says, let my people go. Let my people go. John the Baptist said, it's not lawful for thee to have her. It's not lawful for thee to have, you know, this wife. And he did this. You say, how do these people do these kind of things? How do they stand up in courage? They know that they need to be doing what's best for other people. Truth is, Christ was courageous. He was never a coward. He walked with courage. He talked with courage. He preached with courage. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We as believers need to put on courage. We need to put on courage. In the midst of, again, a devilish society, we need to put on courage. I'm not saying caustic type courage. I'm saying courage coupled with compassion. Courage coupled with knowing that which is right to do. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 5 says this about Jesus. It says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Why did I bring you there? Because one of the titles of Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He can be as much like a lion as he can be like a lamb. He was a lion in the course of his life. As a leader, he was lion-like in courage. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, the righteous are bold as a lion. A leader needs to be lion-like. And we need to lead with courage. It's easy for us to fear. It's easy for us to fret. It's easy for us to worry. But it's good for us to be like Jesus and seek to be someone with courage and boldness. 
That's not the only attribute that Jesus had that makes him the greatest of all leaders. But he was secondly, and this is very important, he was a caring and compassionate leader. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. He was a, he was a courageous leader, but he was also a caring leader. He cared about what people were doing. He cared that there were people without a shepherd. You know, people sometimes, they care mainly about themselves. They care much about themselves. And they care, again, uh, uh, maybe about their people or their kind or whatever it might be. But look here in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. Let me read verse 35 before 36. It says, And, and Jesus went about all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye the Lord for the harvest, that he'll send labors into the harvest. You know, Jesus was already laboring in the harvest, wasn't he? It says that right in verse number uh, 35, he was on the mission field, he was preaching, he was healing, he was doing all these kind of things. He was taking the disciples and they were following after him and they were being trained in a sense to be people that could be shepherds to scattered sheep. You notice there that Jesus recognizes the people. He sees where the people are at. He's, again, moved by their position that they're in. It says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were as sheep having no shepherd. You know, a caring, compassionate leader cares about those that have none. He cares about those who have none. He cares about those who have little. Jesus cares about those who have no shepherd. Do you care about the multitudes that do not have a shepherd? I think about Lebanon, and I think about Noah George there. I think about the Silasis there. There's another family, missionary family there. But think about places like Muslim countries for a moment and think about where's the shepherds? Where's someone to lead them to Jesus? Where's the shepherds in this country? Where's the shepherds in Canada? Where are the shepherds all around the world that would lead someone to Jesus Christ? But Jesus was concerned about the shepherds and his thought process led him to tell the disciples, you know, I've got one thing I'd like you to pray about. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors in the harvest. And you see, immediately after that, he'll send forth these 12 and he'll send them to places and then he would come to later on. You know, someone says, people that, uh, again, you know, good leaders, they they, they, you know, they, they say things that make them good leaders. No, they do things that make them good leaders. He cared about the people with no shepherd. He sought to be a shepherd where he could. And he sent, again, the disciples out. And he sent others out to try to be a shepherd spiritually to those that are lost. Because why? There's a whole bunch of false shepherds out there. A huge amount of false shepherds out there. His compassion is shown here in this passage of Scripture, he had compassion on them as sheep having no shepherd. Compassion is shown when we care about those that lack or those that have none. Let's 
Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. He was a compassionate leader because he cared for those that were hurt and those that needed help. Do we care about those that are hurt and those that need help? Sometimes, again, people hurt themselves. Some people sometimes are in a situation where they get hurt. They get in accidents and they get hurt. They get sick and they get hurt. They have health issues and they are hurting. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 14, this, uh, again, talking about Jesus, says that Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. You know, see, in the passage before, he sends people out to preach to them and desires that people preach to them. And uh, here we find it says he healed their sick. You know, the best kind of leaders, the most compassionate leaders will care about those that are sick. Care about those that are hurting. Care about those that need help. And, and Jesus didn't just say there, well, I hope things will go well for you. He says there in the Bible, he healed their sick. Now, I can't heal a person's sickness. I don't have the healing powers of the apostles. I don't have the power again to, to bless and to help, but I can be like Job. He was eyes to the blind and was help to those that were hurting. You can read in the book of Job how he was a, he was a blessing to those around him. Are you seeking to be a blessing to those around you? You know, the world would have us to be wrapped in, into ourselves and doing our own thing and found our own way and, and uh, making sure, you know, we're cared for and all these kind of things, but... Is there someone that you could help that's hurting? Again, some people say, well, it's not my responsibility. You know, God, you know, gave me my life and it's mine. And I, I just, you know, there's a lot to do and all this. And are we help to those that are hurting? If you are, you're, you're following Jesus. You're following Jesus. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 9. You know, he met lepers and he healed them. You know, most people at that time, they would just, oh, just let the leper live and let him stay away from us. And when he dies, you know, he'll die and all that kind of things. But you see, again, with Jesus, things are different. You know, you know people talk as leaders, especially politicians, I care about you. Well, when's the last time you heard about a politician, so to speak, actually get their hands dirty and help a farmer? Maybe he's struggling. You know, I heard about someone here doing something as a pastor, and I seen them just hands-on helping someone. That's what being like Jesus is about, is helping someone hands-on doing something. I mean, I, I'm not saying, again, you're better or someone's better by doing that, but you're being like Jesus in doing that. You know, people were sick, and he healed them. That means he probably touched them at times. You see that Bible. You see him do all kinds of different things at times. And you say, you know, I want to be like Jesus. Then help the leper. Who's the leper? The outcast in society. You say someone in your, your town, you know them, and you know them personally. And you, you, you say, hey, this is a town drunk. This is a town whatever it might be. Are you doing anything or I'm doing anything to help them? I think we should be trying to help them. Mark chapter 9, verse number 17, not looking down at them and saying, you know, like, you know, those again with that person that got beat up there in that parable get beat up and they just walk by on the other side. Oh, I see you. Well, hopefully someone else will take care of them and help them or whatever. We need some Samaritans. Some good Samaritans seek to help other people. Mark chapter 9, you see someone again spiritually off, seek to help them. 
Mark chapter 9, verse number 17. Turn over there with me. You know, a good leader will listen, and he'll look for ways to help. He'll, uh, again, if he's a politician, and again, someone says there are no good politicians, I think there are. There's politicians that are looking to help with uh, people to help. Helping people maybe that messed up. Helping people that are in jail. Helping people, again, uh, maybe, again, that need a hand up or a hand out at times. Mark chapter 9, verse number 17. The Bible says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have uh, brought unto thee my son, which, is a, which hath a dumb se- uh, spirit, and whithersoever he taketh, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. I spake to disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered and said unto them, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you, and how long shall I suffer and bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming. When wallowed and foaming. He asked his father, how long is it ago since this came of him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes he cast himself in the fire and the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now here's a dad who's struggling. Of course, this struggle was with demonic possession. There are people that have children that are struggling. And they need help, so to speak. Do we help them? It says of Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, simply these things. And again, it kind of summarizes his life. He went about doing good. And he went about doing good, Acts chapter 10, 38. Any good leader will seek to be about trying to do some good, making a difference, trying to help people in the right direction. You think about Jesus, he was courageous, he was compassionate. Let me say this thirdly. And this is important because sometimes you don't find this in leaders. He was calm and controlled. He was meek. He was mild. He was humble. Turn to Mark, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Let me encourage you to be courageous. Let me encourage you to be compassionate. And let me encourage you as much as possible to be controlled and calm as a leader. His spirit was in check. He was meek and lowly at heart. He was mild in manner. His emotions were under complete control. His testimony, he was temperate in all things. You say, I can't be like Jesus. We can be like unto Jesus. We should seek to be like him. Mark chapter 26. What if someone's going the wrong way, taking the wrong course? Well, look look here in Mark chapter 26 in verse number 47 through verse number 52. We learn about Jesus and his betrayal. I want to read through this a little bit again. Just follow along if you would. Mark chapter 26, verse number 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and stays from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him, them gave a sign, whosoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold them fast. And forthwith he came, to Jesus, and he said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? 
Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ears. Then Jesus, uh, then said Jesus unto them, Put up again thy sword in thy place, for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. And it goes on and says some things, but I just want to point out here, here these words, friend, where art thou come? He could have addressed him as an enemy, couldn't he? He is an enemy. He was acting as an enemy. He said, friend, where art thou come? Well, you know, I've seen that passage before. I've talked about this passage before. But I mean, Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. Full well, he knew that Judas Iscariot was a fake all along. And yet he addresses him as a friend. You see him show grace. You show, see him in this place again. Uh, again, just going through a situation he knew would have to happen in his life because of his need to go to Calvary. His need to save people from their sin. So we read on, and I'll skip through for, uh, part of this. I just want to mention verse 55, verse 56. I'd read more, but I don't want to be too long here this morning. It says, And in that same hour said Jesus to the multitude, Are you come? out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and, and you laid no hand upon me. But all this is done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook and fled, and they that had uh, laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, and it goes on from there, and it mentions again, Peter followed them afar off. They all going to fled and flee. You know, he knew all these things. And yet he did what was needful and helpful. You know, as a leader, as a person in general, are we leading people in a cool, calm, collected kind of a pattern? Are we showing ourselves a pattern of goodness to people? Jesus was ever under control and always under control. Even when he reproved the religious leaders, which we saw on Wednesday night in Matthew chapter 23, for their, their devilish doctrines that they were teaching. That would condemn people to hell. He preached exactly as he should. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. You know, think about Jesus. Jesus taught under control. He taught his followers to be under control. He taught that, again, we are to be meek and low, whole, uh, lowly in heart, as he is and was and is even today. Matthew chapter 6, you know, we all have sometimes worries and fears and even address these matter. I just want to mention here in Mark, Matthew chapter 6, at verse number 33 and verse number 34, in these matters of fears and worldly cares, he says this after he talks about that to a large degree, he says in verse 30, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take th uh, thought for the things of itself sufficient on the day is the evil thereof. Jesus taught his followers basically to think and be concerned about today. And certainly get to some degree tomorrow, but don't be focused on the cares of tomorrow. We can be concerned about tomorrow. What could happen tomorrow? What could happen in our country? What could happen in society? 
Jesus taught people just to bring the truth in love, to truly love people, to care for people. Jesus was meek. He was mild. He was lowly. He was humble. He was controlled. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I just want to look at one more passage here before we close here today. A perfect leader strives to be controlled in his approach to different situations. He does that which is right by God and by the truth. And we see this here in Matthew chapter 4 after being put through temptation or trial here. And uh, again, I just want to read through this quickly and make a few comments and we'll close here today. See the controlled, concise manner which Jesus deals with the devil. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh them up to the holy city, and setteth him a pinnacle at the temple. He said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh them to an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world, and all the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give to thee, if thou fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Now, even in this most difficult time in life where he was tempted after being starved, in a sense, for many days, he refused to yield to the flesh. He refused to re, uh, yield to foolish behavior. And he failed to yield to fame and pride. You say, how did he do this? He continued in the truth. He did that which is right by God. He was God in the flesh. I understand that. But yet the Bible says, follow me. Follow after me. If we want to be what we should be as Christians, we should be people that follow Jesus, the greatest leader of all time. He was compassionate. He was courageous. He was controlled in the way he dealt with people. Let's follow after Jesus. Let's end with a word of prayer here this morning.